But it's turning God's word this evening to Psalm 24. Psalm 24. Psalm 24, the entirety of this psalm will serve as the text for the sermon this evening. The Psalm of David. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob, Selah. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory, Selah. Thus far we read God's holy and inerrant word. May he add his blessing upon the reading of his holy scriptures. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is fitting that we should gather together on this Ascension Day. We gathered together earlier on Good Friday when we remembered the crucifixion and the death of our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ. We considered the words, he gave himself. He gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity. We heard the church weeping as the blessed body of our Savior was affixed to the cross, as there he suffered and died. And then his body was taken down from that accursed tree and put in the tomb where Jesus Christ experienced everything that it means to die. 
Then three days later, we gathered on that Sunday morning and we remembered the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We heard by faith the words of the angel who said, He is not here, for he is risen. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And then after that, resurrection of Jesus Christ for 40 days. He made numerous appearances to his disciples and to many others besides, giving unto them many infallible proofs that he was not dead, but that he had conquered death and the grave, and that now he lives. And now on this day, Ascension Day, we consider the historical fact that Jesus Christ in the flesh, visibly in the sight of his disciples from the Mount of Olives, was taken up from this earth, ascended into heaven, and that now he sits enthroned at God's right hand. It is of that reality, the ascension of Jesus, that this text, Psalm 24, speaks. It speaks of the reality of the ascent of Jesus Christ prophetically. It describes for us the historical event of the Ark of the Covenant. As David took that Ark, which had long been removed from the tabernacle, for a long time had been in the house of Ovid-Edom. And David took that ark, and he brought that ark up into Jerusalem and restored that ark unto the tabernacle where it rightly belonged. It was a joyful occasion. It was an occasion marked with fanfare and with music. David upon having brought the ark up into Jerusalem, even danced in a sanctified dancing to celebrate the fact that the ark of the Lord had been brought up into Jerusalem. That historical event of the ark in the Old Testament times being brought up into Jerusalem is a picture that foreshadows the ascension of Christ. Just as the ark went up, so Jesus Christ in his ascension went up. Just as the ark prior to going up was in a place that was not appropriate for it, so Jesus Christ prior to his ascension dwelt in a place that was not entirely appropriate for him. He who was holy came into a place that was unholy. And just as that ark in going up entered into its final resting place, so Jesus, as he went up and ascended into heaven, went to his final resting place where he sits enthroned at God's right hand. Let's consider this evening, then, the entrance 
of the King of Glory. The entrance of the King of Glory. Two points this evening. First, we'll consider that this was a holy entrance. Second, an observed entrance. Holy entrance, observed entrance. Verse 3 asks for us the question, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? The fact that these questions are put before us indicate that not just anybody may ascend this holy hill. Not just anyone is welcomed into the presence of the Holy Lord. There are gates and there are doors. There are walls which would prohibit some from being welcomed up into this holy place. Who may? On an even more basic level, who shall? That's how the text puts it. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? To ask who may ascend is to ask one question. It's to ask who is worthy of ascending, who may lawfully ascend into this holy hill, but to ask who shall ascend is to ask an even more fundamental question, who even wants to ascend this holy hill? Who desires to go up Mount Zion? To ask who shall ascend this holy hill or who shall stand in his holy place is to ask the question, who longs to dwell in the presence of God Himself? Who will be Jehovah's friend? Who will seek companionship with God? Who delights in God? Who seeks God with all of His heart, mind, soul, and strength? Who loves God above everything else upon this earth? Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Not everyone does even want to ascend into that holy hill. Who shall? Verse 4 teaches us who shall. It gives us a description he that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. This verse speaks of four different aspects of the human body. Your hands, your heart, your soul, in your mouth. Who may ascend unto the hill of the Lord? 
First of all, it is the person who has clean hands. The person's hands who have not been dirtied with the filth of sin. The persons whose hands have not reached out to grab a hold of the bottle to abuse it. The person whose hands have not reached out to grab hold of another person to abuse that person. The one who has clean hands. The one who does not use his hands to grab the remote control to watch the filth that is set forth as the entertainment of the day. The one whose hands have not been dirtied by cheating in school, by stealing from the neighbor. One who has clean hands shall ascend. And then your heart. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. A pure heart is a heart that is devoted unto Jehovah God. A heart that does not have divided priorities. A heart that does not simultaneously try to serve Jehovah God and, on the other hand, try to serve the desires of the flesh. But a pure heart is a heart that is devoted unto Jehovah God, loves him above all else, delights in Jehovah God, seeks to know Jehovah God, which knowledge is life everlasting. The one who shall ascend the holy hill who may dwell with God, is the one who has a pure heart. And then who shall ascend? The one who guards his soul. Who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity. Vanity. Vain, selfish, and self-centered desires rise from us quite naturally because of the nature that we have inherited from our parents. We are by nature proud. The vain person is the one who is easily hurt by the words of others. The vain person is the insecure individual. The vain person is the one who does not have confidence in the Lord and in knowing his or her identity in the Lord. But the vain person is the one who seeks to establish his or her identity and his or her appearance, abilities, reputation, or success upon this earth. The one who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord is the one who does not lift his soul up in vanity. And then fourth, 
The one who ascends is the one who has not sworn deceitfully. James teaches us that the tongue is a little member of the body, and yet, even though it is a little member, it is so very hard to control that little member of the body. It's hard to control the tongue because the tongue is the expression of the desires of our heart. And so if it is the case that our heart covets or our heart lusts or our heart is not content with the place that God has given unto us, then the tongue is the instrument by which the desires of the heart become No, to be able to control one's tongue is to be able to control one's heart. The one who is a worthy ascender into that holy hill of the Lord is the one who has not sworn deceitfully. The one who has not come under the influence of the devil, who is a liar and the father of all lies. The one who always speaks the truth. The one who does not try to lie in an attempt to cover up transgressions. The one who does not make excuses for what he failed to do. The one who does not exaggerate his or her contribution unto something. The one who has not sworn deceitfully is the one who is worthy of ascending the holy hill. Who then could ever ascend? What verse 4 teaches us is you must be perfect. If you are not in every respect perfectly conformable to the law of God, then you cannot, you will not, ascend the holy hill. Who shall ascend? The king. The king of glory. Verse 7, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. The one who is worthy to ascend up into that holy hill. The one who is worthy to be the friend and the companion of God. The one who fellowships with God. The one who keeps perfect covenant with God is this King. He is no weak king, but he is the omnipotent king. Verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Everything upon the earth belongs unto this king. He will not give his scepter unto anyone else. He is the exclusive, the omnipotent, the the I am that I am. He is the king who has no need of anyone else outside of himself. He is the king who created the heavens and the earth. He is the king who sustains the heavens and the earth. The king who entered into this world in order to redeem his people unto 
himself. He is the king of glory, who alone is worthy to enter into this holy hill that belongs to Jehovah God. Behold the glory of this king. You know what makes this king beautiful and glorious? is beautiful. The holy wife is a beautiful wife in the eyes of her husband. The holy husband is a desirable and beautiful husband in the eyes of his wife. Because holiness is beautiful. The king is glorious because he is the one who, according to verse 4, has clean hands, a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. Clean hands this king has, never used his hands to abuse anything or anyone, hands which have not been sullied by the filth of sin, but hands which ministered, which fed, which performed miracles, which gathered the little lambs of the kingdom of God unto him. Pure hands. And this king had a pure heart. A heart that was not divided between a desire to worship God on the one hand, but then on the other hand, a desire for his own purposes, a desire for his own personal welfare on the earth. But a heart that was devoted entirely unto Jehovah God. I and the Father are one, he declared. One who did not lift his soul unto vanity. He never became proud. How tempting that must have been. Imagine that you were ministering to others and you knew that everybody else that you were ministering unto was broken and sinful, but you weren't. Everybody else was in need of redemption, of a Savior, but you weren't. How tempting it would become to be proud in that situation. But the king never lifted up his soul unto vanity. And then the king who never swore deceitfully 
He never spoke rashly with his disciples, even though they tested him time and time again. Even in his death, it was holy words that came forth from his mouth, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He is the one who deserved to ascend into heaven and to stand at the holy place of the Lord. He is the king who is described in the eighth verse as being strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. And yet it did not always appear that way, did it? It did not always seem as though he was the king glorious, the one strong and mighty, the one to whom the earth belonged and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. No, at times, oftentimes, throughout his earthly ministry, he appeared to be weak, feeble, impotent. He was as a sheep dumb before her shearers. He had no form nor comeliness, no beauty that man should desire him. People from his own hometown of Nazareth took this king, the glorious king, and they led him there to the edge of the cliff, and they attempted to push the glorious king off the edge of the cliff. Later on, when he was being tried, the crowds chanted for Barabbas to be released unto them rather than this king. king was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, and by wicked hands, he was crucified and slain. His clean hands, which had never been sold by sin, were now pierced through with the nails that fixed him to the cross. Oh, the psalmist describes him as the king, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle, and yet it appeared there at the cross that he was anything but strong and mighty. He was despised and he was rejected. And who of us would have treated him any different? than the Jews of old. By the weakness of our faith, by the many doubts that oftentimes spring up within us, we question how strong and how mighty this king really is. By the fears that arise up within us which keep us awake, at night time, 
so that we toss and turn and cannot enter into that blissful state of sleep, we show that we question whether this glorious King is mighty and strong to deliver us from the trials of our lives. Because of the weakness of our faith, it is necessary then that we hear the exhortation of this text to observe this King who has ascended into the holy hill. We hear this exhortation given to us in verse 7 and verse 9. We read there, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. What is the meaning here of the seventh and ninth verses? It is not immediately evident to us what the meaning of these verses is. We must understand here that this is a psalm that we are seeking to uh, uncover the meaning of. And psalms belong to the section of Scripture which are poetry. And because this is poetry, we must not seek to impose a strict or a literal understanding of this upon the text. Instead, this is to be understood poetically. We do this oftentimes without realizing it when we study the scriptures, and especially the section that is poetry. In the previous psalm, Psalm 23, the familiar words, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters, we understand that we are not to force a literal interpretation upon that as if the Good Shepherd physically leads us out into the pasture, the hillside, and there we lie down in green pastures and are led beside still waters. But we understood that those words are a picture, it's poetry, which speaks of a spiritual reality. Well, the same then must be applied as we seek to interpret verse 7 and 9. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. In a certain sense, there was a literal physical sense in which this was fulfilled as David took that Ark of the Covenant and David brought that Ark of the Covenant up Mount Zion and brought that Ark into Jerusalem. There was a physical sense in which the doors, the gates that surrounded Jerusalem needed to be opened up. And that gives to us a rather vivid picture here. The picture is that of the people who are ascending with the ark up into Jerusalem, and they're speaking, calling out to those who are inside of Jerusalem. And so there's this 
this conversation going on here, this, this calling back and forth. It's, it's really more of an exclamation of, of joy and triumph as they speak back and forth one to another. On the one hand, there's the party of those who are accompanying the Ark of the Covenant as they go up. And as they go up and as they see Jerusalem in the distance and the walls and the gates surrounding Jerusalem, those who are accompanying the ark call out, verse 7, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. And then those who are within the walls of the city, those who control the gates and the doors, they respond to those who are coming up the hill. They respond saying, Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. And then it gets repeated again in verses 9 and 10. For those who are ascending, call out, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. And then those within the walls of the city respond by saying, Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And so in one sense, there is a literal opening up of the doors and the gates of Jerusalem so that the Ark of the Covenant could ascend that holy hill and be brought into the tabernacle of the Lord, where it would have its resting place. But there must be more here. What is the significance for you and for me? And especially the question is, what is the key? What are the gates? Or more literally, who are the gates? You see, these gates have heads. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Even be ye lift up. And you know who the gates are? you and it's me it's the people of God these are one people of God calling to another people of God commanding them to lift up their heads and observe Jesus Several things briefly to demonstrate this unto you. First of all, the fact that the gates are personified. These gates have heads. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. The second thing that indicates that these gates must be understood more than in a physical sense is the fact that these gates are everlasting. Be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors. The doors and the gates of Jerusalem were not 
everlasting. It would be destroyed. But the gates and the doors that are everlasting is the people of God. It's the church, Catholic, which transcends all of history. And so the calling of this text that is given unto the people of God is to observe by faith the ascent of our Savior, Jesus Christ, into heaven. This is not a command that is unique to this passage of Scripture, but it is a command that's given throughout the Holy Scriptures. Repeatedly, when Jesus was on this earth ministering to his disciples, he taught his disciples that they were not to seek the kingdom of this earth, but they were to seek the kingdom of heaven. On the day of Jesus Christ's bodily ascent, it's noteworthy that Jesus Christ took his disciples with him to the Mount of Olives, and there Jesus Christ visibly ascended. They stood there, and they lifted up their heads, and they watched as Jesus Christ was taken from their sight until eventually he was hid from their sight by the clouds. This is the command given to us in Colossians 3, verse 2, where we read, Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Always the temptation for the member of the church militant the member of the church yet on this earth, is that that member becomes concerned, filled with concern about the things of this earth. By nature, we cannot help but be concerned about the things of this earth, for we are of this earth earthy. We are dust creatures who are created out of the dust, who walk upon the dust for 70, perhaps 80 years. And then we return to that dust from whence we are taken. And because we are dust creatures, it is our nature then that we become concerned and focused on the things of this earth. It is not without consequence that we are fixated upon things earthly. Because we focus on the things of this earth, we can oftentimes be overwhelmed with sorrow, with the loss of hope and joy, because we see that this earth is but a veil of tears where we go from trial to trial. Because of our fixation upon the things of this earth, for some the temptation is materialism. Where one tries to accumulate as many earthly possessions and build an earthly kingdom instead of seeking the things of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. For some, because of their fixation upon this earth, they become overwhelmed with pressure. 
the many responsibilities of this earth weigh upon your shoulders mightily. Your souls become lifted up with vanity. They imagine that they are important, even indispensable. And that because they occupy such an important position on this earth, they become stressed, tired, and eventually lose all joy in the place that they have upon this earth. For others, the effect of becoming fixated upon the things of this earth is they lose all comfort. They see their sins. They are sorry for their sins. But then instead of moving from their sins to the foot of the cross, they go back to their sins again and then feel awful about those sins and after a while have no comfort, no assurance that their sins have been forgiven them. And so it is that God, in his tender, loving care, For the members of his church commands them with authority, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. By faith, which is the gift of God unto his children, we are given the ability to behold not just the things of this earth, but we behold as well by faith (coughs) the realities of the kingdom of heaven. Faith does not fasten its eyes upon this earth, coveting the prosperity and materialism of this earth, but faith looks heavenward. And by faith we behold the king who enters into his state, who enters there as the Son of God in flesh, the Messiah who died on the cross in order to redeem us from our sins. By faith we see that God approves of his entrance into that holy place. God did not cast off his Son, but God welcomed his Son into that holy hill. And by God taking his son into that holy place in heaven, we see God giving his stamp of approval upon the son's finished work. By faith, we are given the ability to see the lamb who suffered for our sakes and who imputes or gives unto us his righteousness. By faith, we are given to know That God is not displeased with us, but that God cherishes us as the apple of his eye for Jesus' sake. The result of lifting up our heads and beholding the King of glory is that we stand in awe of the glory of our God. We mustn't miss this aspect of the text. 
We can get so caught up in determining what this text means and seeking to understand the gates and the doors and the heads that are lifted up, that if possible for one to lose a sense of the awe, the majesty, the wonder of what is happening here. Certainly David did not miss this in the Old Testament. As that Ark of the Covenant was brought up into Jerusalem, David understood the significance of this. And David responded by worshiping the Lord. So it is for us as God, by the operation of the Holy Spirit, gives unto us the ability to lift up our heads and behold Jesus Christ who has entered into the state of life with God in heaven. We respond by worshiping God. We will sing shortly. Ye gates, lift your heads, the glad summons, obey. And why do we lift up our heads? Because the King of glory has entered in state. It is no ordinary person who enters in state. It is not fellow man, but it is the king. It is the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle, the one who is not dead, but who is risen, the one who was delivered for our offenses, and the one who is raised for our justification. It is the one who is the captain of our salvation, the one who is the mediator of the covenant which God has established with his people who has entered in state. Adore then and worship this king of glory. Do so because he is God in flesh. Do so because In his entering in state, we are given the confidence of our own entrance up and into that holy hill. If the king has entered in, then surely the citizens will enter in. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? For who shall stand in his holy place? It is the child of God who has been given clean hands, a pure heart, who as a regenerated child has not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, who will enter into the holy hill of the Lord. Even death itself cannot separate us from our King, but instead is the door by which God takes us from this earth and brings us to Himself in the glory that await. Amen. Let us pray. 
Our Father and our God in heaven, there is one thing that we have desired of thee that we seek after, that we may dwell in thy house, O Lord, all the days of our lives. We thank thee for Jesus Christ, who has ascended into the holy place made without hands. We are grateful, Father, that in his ascension we have the, the assurance of our own ascension into heaven. Grant us patience while we wait. Forgive us our sins for Jesus' sake. Amen. <laughs> 